Well, good morning. Good to have you with us. Uh, for those that don't know, my name is Brian Robertson. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. Very grateful to have you in our first Sunday of Advent as we consider the Advent story, the Christmas story, as you heard so eloquently portrayed by these kids uh, just a second ago. Uh, and we're going to try and gather together like churches do all throughout the country and my families do around tables to just simply retell the story of the birth of Jesus. As the Daniels family reminded us uh, just earlier in our Advent reading, Advent means arrival or coming. And so in, during these weeks leading up to Christmas, we uh, look forward to and we anticipate the arrival of the baby Jesus uh, and what that means for us. As also, we're anticipating the uh, second coming of Christ, his arrival again. So it's kind of this all-encompassing aspect that we do. But when we kind of jump into the story, uh, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. There's a lot going on uh, beforehand and everything else. And so what we've decided to do to understand the kind of the, the magnitude of the Christmas story is to pay attention to the whole story, not just kind of jumping into the middle of the story and kind of how it pans out and what it plays out and what's going on, the significance of it. Because if, if we only jump into the middle of the story, while we might get some of the significance, we might, be, we might lose some of it. There's highlights that we may miss out on if we just kind of jump into the middle of it. So we're going to try in this few weeks before Christmas to really try and kind of jump in to understand the, the whole story of Advent, what's really going on. Uh, and we're using a devotional that is developed by a pastor in Pennsylvania uh, that's by the same title, the Advent, the whole story. And we can pick those Advent devotionals up uh, at the Hanging of the Green service tonight. You can come back and grab one of those. Just some thoughts for to help kind of guide your devotional time throughout the uh, Advent season to kind of help us understand the, how the Advent story, the Christmas story, pans out and plays a part of the whole God story. Uh, so as we get started this morning, as we kind of get moving, let's pray together and we'll get going. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. We pray that you would uh, be near to us. Father, we are so humbled that you would come and be close uh, and draw closer to us. Father, in these moments, would you allow our defenses, our, our um, defenses around our hearts, around our spirit to be low- lowered and lessened, that we might hear from you this morning what you want us to hear. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we start this morning, I have a question for you. I, and I want you to think of a time when you were grieving over something. A time when you, uh, were, your heart was grieved for one reason or another. I want you to think about the circumstances, the situation that kind of surrounded your grief, your grieving. And how did you respond to that grief? How did you respond to your grieving? And I want you to think about whatever that situation is. I want you to have it kind of towards the front of your mind as we go through the, the, the message and the story here this morning. Because as we start this series, I want, to enc- I want to encourage us to think about and to see the Christmas story with the eyes to the very beginning of the story. And when we have eyes to the very beginning of what was going on and why was it that Jesus needed to come, what was at the root cause of the Christmas story, we might find that the root cause of the, of the birth of Christ is found in the grief in the heart of God. That the heart of God was grieved. You see, you and I were created to be in relationship 
with our creator, the one who made us, made us for a relationship, a special kind of community relationship with him. Some of the imagery we have in the Garden of Eden is God actually walking alongside Adam and Eve, having a conversation, having a relationship that was intimate and close and deep and personal. But something terribly went wrong. And that early stages, rather than enjoying life with our Creator, rather than enjoying the way that we were created to live, we rejected life with God. We rejected God's teachings. We rejected what God had asked us to do. And, and Adam and Eve gave into the very same temptation that we face on a daily basis that we cannot trust anyone but ourselves, let alone someone that we can hardly get to know. And so rather than trusting the goodness of God, Adam and Eve rejected that trust, rejected that goodness, and began to trust in themselves. And that kind of life where we are rejecting God's teaching and God's authority in our life and we're consumed with what is good for us and we're simply concerned about what is good in our life and, and what's prioritizing us, well, it will cause all sorts of wickedness and evilness to come out of our life where we are doing whatever our hearts desire and whatever gratifies our nature and bad things come as a result of it. The scriptures tell us that that kind of rejection of the heart of God, not only does it grieve the heart of God, but that kind of grief and that kind of rejection grew until some point where all people around everywhere were so consumed with wickedness that God's grief overcame him. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 6. It says that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race, and I have created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And we know the rest of Noah's story. And that's not the point for this morning. I want us to zero in on verse 6. Because in verse 6, the writer says that the Lord regretted making human beings. And that his heart was deeply troubled. It was grieved, you could say. Many people, when we talk about this aspect of our need for Jesus or why he had to be born, we think about it in terms of our sin of our behavior, of things that have gone wrong. And that because of our great sin or because of our great behavior that is evil, which is true, and any kind of honest look within my heart as well as within your heart can see seeds of wickedness and evil thoughts and desires that have gone through. But the root of the Christmas story lies much deeper than just behavior. The root of the cause and the need for the manger lies more deeper and more profound than simply a righteous anger against our behavior. You see the magnitude of the manger? We can begin to see this magnitude, the greatness, when we see it in terms of God's grief over the loss of our relationship with him. Much like the grieving that we go through, much like the grieving that you were thinking about just moments ago, most of the time, grief lies or centers around a loss of a relationship, the loss of a friendship or loss of a person. 
It's like the heart of a father whose child chooses to rebel against his teaching and chooses to make choices that are contrary to what is healthy for him. And, and those, con- those choices may have consequences and ramifications. They may even have legal ramifications. We have to stand before a judge and they have, have to be held accountable for that. And, but what grieves the father's heart is not just that there's legal consequences or that there's some bad choices or things that have happened to their, as their action, but what grieves the father's heart is the loss of, of relationship that the child rejects his or her father's teaching and fa- family holidays are now full of tension because there's an empty chair at the table not because of the ramifications or because of the bad behavior it's so deeper than that it's a loss of relationship see a heart that is saddened is saddened because you're suffering because you've got some consequences to your actions i might be sad because of that but a heart is grieved at the loss of relationship a heart is grieved at a loss of relationship and so the root of the christmas story is the heart of god is grieving and yet the christmas story is how god chooses to deal with his grief knowing that we couldn't do anything on our own, knowing that we couldn't do anything in our strength to restore or to, to, to reconcile that relationship, God sends Jesus that first Christmas some time ago. And we see in the Christmas story, it is the one who was offended who took action to draw close to the ones who had offended him, to demonstrate the extravagance of his love. You see, we need to see that our need for a Savior, our need for Jesus, is not primarily because of our behavior issues. Not primarily because of our behavior things or our misbehaving or our misconduct. Although there's plenty of misconduct and plenty of misbehaving going around. But our primary problem and the reason why we need a Savior is a heart problem. Because our hearts are inclined to reject the relationship that we were meant for. It's a heart problem. And we reject the relationship that we've been made for and we replace it with a self-love where we just look for what's good for us and our hearts are inclined for whatever's gonna be good for us. See, at the very beginning, at the very beginning, it was about relationship. And it grieves the Father's heart at the loss of that relationship. So this morning, as we start this Advent season, as we begin thinking and retelling the Christmas story, I want to invite us to see all the happenings around and all the shepherd stuff and the king stuff and all of Herod's response and Mary and Joseph's response and everything that's going on in light and, and through the lens of a restored relationship. Through a restored relationship. When we see and we can allow ourselves to see the betrayal and the rejection of God and the rejection of a relationship with God, and we honest with the ways in which we have a real heart problem, then we can come to grips with our need for Jesus. But when we find ourselves at, in terms with our need for Jesus and our need for a Savior, it might, if we're not careful, it might lead us to years of trying to earn back the privilege of being back at his table, to prove to God that we're sorry. Or at least we're not as bad as the other people. Or we're not as bad as we used to be. So can we just work ourselves in? But we can't do this on our own. 
The only way for our brokenness and our broken relationship to be mended was for God to send Jesus into the harshness of this life to demonstrate the reality of God's kingdom and the heart of the Father that reaches out to do for us what we could not do on our own. And when we see this kind of extravagant love that pushes through the grief to reach out to us, it changes everything. It changes how we approach him, it changes how we understand him, and it changes how we respond to him. Jesus spoke about this kind of radical shift in the well-known story of the prodigal son. The story goes like this. A man had two sons, and one of the sons asked his father for his portion of the inheritance early. And in an act of rebellion and an actual rejection of his father, his son wanted everything for himself, and so he asks them. And just so you know, culturally speaking here, that would have been a slap in the face of his dad. That would not only just a, a rejection of his dad, but culturally speaking, to ask for an inheritance early, especially the way the young man did here, was actually saying, Dad, you're worthless to me. I don't want anything to do with you. I wish you were dead. Culturally speaking, it was a massive slap in the face of this father. And he should have rejected the opportunity. He should have said, no way, refused the aspect of it. But this father, for ways that we can only imagine, grants his son the request. And he allows him to have the property. And the story continues that the boy gathers all of his inheritance stuff and he quickly sells off his portion of the land and, and begins to leave and go to a far off country somewhere else. Again, culturally, things here, the re- one of the reasons why scholars think that he sells off some of his property really, really quickly is because there would have been a ceremony that would have happened in the village, in the community here, that would have literally cut this young man off from ever having relationship whatsoever with the rest of the community. There would have been an actual ceremony that the culture would have brought around this young man because he had done such a harsh rebellion against his father and against his father's family that they would have cut him off from his family and also from the community. And so some of the authors and some scholars think that he sells his property quickly to kind of get away before the ceremony of cutting him off from the community could have happened. So he quickly sells off his things and he goes off to this far off country. Now, possibly he could have come back at some point, rebought the land, rebought the property, and all would have been forgiven. But the culture, if he would have lost all his money, and especially if he would have lost all his money to a Gentile or to Gentiles, there was no hope. If, if that cutoff ceremony would, would not have happened when he left, it for sure would have happened if he tried to come home, if he came home empty-handed with no money. And this is what happens. The young man gets off to the distant country, and we're told that he wastes his money on wild living, and that things do not turn out the way he intended. He lost everything, and he lost them at the hands of Gentiles. So he knows what awaits him if he were to ever try to come home again. He knows that he has no hope whatsoever. So he seeks to be hired off as a man feeding pigs. And here's where the story gets interesting. Because as Jesus recalls it, we're told the young man comes to his senses and devises up a plan on how he can come back and be acceptable to his father. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 15. When he, the young man, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Some people hear this part of the story and they think that and they assume that this young man has kind of repented of his ways. He's found the error of his ways. He kind of comes to his senses and he's going to turn home and he's going to, everything's going to be all made right. But there's another way of understanding this passage that some of the Jewish scholars point to. And I think it kind of gives a better understanding culturally of what was really going on here. Because it's clear in the text that this young man isn't really, sure, isn't really wanting to have a relationship with his dad. He just wants to eat. He says, I'm starving here. And should I really die of hunger when there's an alternative? Even the guys back at my dad's farm, the hired her- servants, those guys have food. This guy, this young man, just wants to eat. And obviously a return to the village would have been culturally dead death to him, so he hadn't even thought about that ahead of time. But now as things got so bad, he thought, well, maybe I'll try it. But his plan was simple. He was going to go home and try to work it off. Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son, so make me one of your hired men. I, I'm not going to live in the family house right now. I'll live out with the family servants, and I'll try and earn my way back. And so he begins to practice his speech out there in the field, and as he's making that long trek home, he's practicing his speech. God, Father, or I'm not, no longer worthy to be called your son any longer, so make me one of your hired servants. I will, I'll earn it back. I'll show you how sorry I am. I'll pay you back everything I've ever owed you. I'll pay back even more than that. Some of the Jewish scholars, as they look at the actual translation of this, they, they look at the story and what the young man is saying is saying, I'm therefore not now worthy to be called your son, but maybe someday I will. So let me work it off. Let me pay it back. And that kind of seems to fit exactly with what's going on in this prodigal son's plan. He realizes that he's not now worthy to be called a son, but he's hoping that tomorrow, maybe, I can pay it back. And maybe again I'll be worthy to enter the house and have a, a place or a seat at the table again. So his, he plans to earn everything back. Isn't this kind of how we often think about things? We've offended someone or we're, we've done something to someone and so we need to immediately put in a plan of action to pay that person back to show them how sorry we are. So here's this young man and he musters up the courage to get back to his village. He swallows his pride, unsure of what's going on, and he begins to kind of rehearse it. And as he gets closer and closer to the village, he's rehearsing it more and more. He gets a little bit nervous. His stomach is probably in knots, not really sure what's going what's gonna to be meeting him. But then something happens that never crossed his mind. Something happens as he's on this journey that never would have crossed his mind before. Pick it up in verse 20. Jesus says, while he, the young man, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Again, just another aspect of the cultural understanding here. See, Middle Eastern men would have never run in public. It's humiliating to do that, especially prominent Middle Eastern men who had estates and had property and money. Because in order to run, they were wearing long robes in those days. In order to run, they would have had to hold their robes up and expose their legs, which would have been absolutely humiliating. So distinguished, prominent, wealthy Middle Eastern men never ran in public. 
would never go through that kind of humiliation. But this father did. And he was willing to bear the scorn of the humiliation because of his great love for the son. Because of the great love. His heart that was grieving at the loss of relationship scorns through the humiliation and through the pain and runs to see his son. And when faced with the outpouring of his father's love, this young man changes his story. See, he had this carefully crafted argument that was airtight, how he was going to plan on working things off. But when he's faced with the outpouring and the outlandish, the extravagant, the humiliating type of love that would drive this Middle Eastern man, prominent, wealthy man, to pick up his robe and to run towards his son, the young man's story changes. And he drops the excuses. He drops all pretense. He drops all aspect of trying to earn it back. And he simply says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm just no longer worthy to be called your son. It is at this moment that the son really repents. It's at this moment that his heart changes. It's in response to the father's outlandish love that's willing to face rejection, willing to face humiliation of running towards the one he loves, and the young man's response is to lay aside any notion of trying to earn a place back at the table and just simply accept being found. Accept being found. So how does this bring us back to the Christmas story? Because it's Advent. How does this bring us back? Well, friends, we are the ones who have betrayed the heart of God. We are the ones who have gone our own way and whose heart has sought only what's best for us, that we have rejected the teachings and the life that God has for us. And our betrayal grieves the Father's heart. And the betrayal all the way up until the Christmas story had grieved God's heart. And while we may have these grandiose ideas of trying to earn back a relationship or earn back a spot at the table, this is exactly what was going on in the culture around Jesus' birth. People had devised all sorts of different ways of trying to earn their spot back on the table. And you do these kinds of things and show up to church on these kinds of days and do that kind of stuff with your family and your friends. And these are the ways in which you stay righteous and you do things the way you're supposed to do. But then something happened that no one ever imagined possible. On that first Christmas, something happened that no one was paying attention to or would have thought or ever dreamed of. The Father, willing to humiliate himself and come and to be known in a baby's form and right here among us comes comes close to us. The Father, willingly, extravagantly, loves through his grief This is God's response. So may we, in this Christmas time, may we be captured by the wonderful and glorious truth of the love of God that prioritizes relationship, that bears the humiliation of being born as a young baby, and that we might see the magnitude of the manger, that we, the ones who have offended and have rejected God, that God has come on a mission to rescue, to restore, and to redeem us. 
And may you and I, may we face, when we face this outpouring of God's love for us, may we lay down any thought of trying to manufacture our own rescue, of trying to earn it back, our own ability to try and get ourselves out of this situation. And may we simply accept being found, being found. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey this morning, I pray that you would know that this God that we serve deeply loves you and that you would lay down any thoughts of trying to earn God's love or earn God's favor, that you would see in the birth of Jesus, this Christ child, God's outlandish, extravagant love for you to do for you what you could not do for, for yourself or I could not do for myself. See, our need is great because our betrayal of God's love was great. But our great need is met in the greatness of God's rescuing love to run to us, to come to us in the baby Jesus, to send him for us. And may this captivate our hearts this Christmas season. And may we understand from this perspective that our great need has been met by an even deeper love. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for the truth that you have come to draw near to us. Father, I pray that as we consider you these next weeks and the birth surrounding, or the situation surrounding your birth, uh, Father, would you remind us of our need for relationship. That though we have pushed you aside and betrayed your life that you have come to us, that we need you more than anything else. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we are grateful to have been with you. Father, we're humbled that you would come to us, that in this Christmas story we see your love for us. Though our Sin and our rejection was deep and great. You still came to us to restore relationships. So, Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to continue to walk with you. And as we go today, God, we go in your power and in your presence. May we experience more of you these weeks to come. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning.